The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. As we've worked our way through the book of Hebrews now over the last number of months, we've seen some deep and rich truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. By way of reminder in where we are in chapter 2, just for the context, because it is... uh, Always important, it is certainly important in understanding verse 10. Last week we looked together at verses 5 through 9. That Jesus is the better Adam. The writer of Hebrews writes, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. It's an Old Testament quotation of the first Adam who was created in the image of God and given dominion over all creation. Everything was put under subjection Under his feet. That's the Old Testament quotation. Here, the writer of Hebrews ascribes that Old Testament quotation to the first Adam, about the first Adam, to Jesus, the second Adam, the better Adam. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. We've learned some very rich, deep, important things about the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the better revelation, that He is the Son, that He is the appointed heir of all things, that He is the creator of all things, that He is the radiance of the glory of God, that He is the exact imprint of His nature, that He is the one that upholds the universe by the word of His power, that He is the one that has made purification for sins, that He is the one that is at present seated at the right hand of God, that He is the one that is superior to all angels, that He is the one that has a name that is better than theirs. The name Son. And then in chapter 2, 
as we see in chapter 1, these, these glorious truths about the deity of, of Christ. In chapter 2, the attention then is given to His humanity. That Jesus is all of those things. But He is also the ideal man. That He is God incarnate. And in Him, all of humanity is fulfilled. In Jesus, as the God-man, all that God intended in humanity is fulfilled. Its purpose, its destiny, its plans. All that God intended for the first Adam. All that God intended then by extension to us. Comes to its completion. Finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the ideal man. The perfect man. The better Adam. And God has put all things under His feet. And that He, Christ, has done this great work through the suffering of death. That's what's in view this morning in verse 10. The way we can think of it is like this. The first Adam moved from perfection to suffering. The first Adam created in the image of God, created perfect before a perfect God. The first Adam moved from perfection to suffering. Right? The first Adam, from perfection to sin, and what is the consequences of our sin? The consequences of our sin is suffering. The first Adam went from absolute perfection to suffering. The second Adam goes from suffering to perfection. The better Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, Redoes everything. And in him we see the ideal man go, not from perfection to suffering, but from suffering to perfection. That's what's in view in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This verse is an argument for the appropriateness, the correctness of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why it is that Christ had to suffer in the manner that He suffered. Is there 
another way? Could there have been uh, another way? Was it right? Was it good? Was it correct for Christ to suffer the way that he has suffered? Well, this verse is an argument for the appropriateness of the suffering of, of Jesus Christ. That's this verse, verse 10. And then following this verse through um, certainly the rest of chapter 2 and basically all the rest of the book of Hebrews, it is uh, an exposition for us of what his suffering has affected for us. So, now... You may have a question. I have a question. When I come to, to verses like these, I, I always to stop and ask, why is it that this writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words? Why is it that this writer felt like that this argument of the appropriateness of the suffering of Jesus Christ and his death had to be made? Well, the reason is because to the Jew, a suffering Savior is scandalous. It's scandalous. Remember who this letter was written to. While we don't know the specific people in the specific place, nor the specific author, we certainly know the broader audience that it was written to. And it was written to Hebrews. That's why it's the letter to the Hebrews. It was written to Jews. It was written to Jewish believers and um, Jews who had yet to become believers. These are written to, to Jewish people, Jewish thinkers, Jewish minds. And to a Jew, the idea of a suffering Savior was scandalous. To a Jew, the Savior, the Messiah, would be a triumphant king. And he would, he would come and he would triumph over, in their context, their expectation was, he would triumph over Rome and he would set up his throne and he would rule and he would reign there in Jerusalem, in the city of David, on the throne of David. And he would, in that moment as he comes, subject the world to his feet and would rule as Messiah. That was the Eager expectation, that is the eager expectation of the Jew. In their mind, there was no place for a Savior that was cursed, hanging in the place of a sinner on a cross. That's scandalous. This is why the cross, the cross, the suffering and the death of Jesus is the stumbling block to the Jews. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Gentiles seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Christ crucified, a suffering Savior to the Jew is is scandalous. It's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's just silliness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. This is the the flow of the text this morning from verse 9, that Christ has been given dominion. All things have been put under His feet, that 
what was intended for the first Adam, dominion over creation, what was lost in the fall, has now been regained by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that dominion is given now to the better Adam, to the second Adam, and it's given through His suffering and death. That's that's verse 9. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death. For a Jew... The question would be, how could that be? That that isn't right. That doesn't sound right. When the Messiah comes, He's going to rule and He's going to reign and it's going to be visibly and He's going to put all things under His feet. He's not going to suffer. He's certainly not going to be cursed. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How can it be? And so the writer in verse 10 tells us that it was fitting it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist you see the writer is through the inspiration of the holy spirit anticipating the objection that we see him crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death And that it was right and proper. It was correct and appropriate. That God did this work through Christ's suffering. That's that's this first clause. For it was fitting that He. It was right. It was correct. It was appropriate that God did this work through Christ's suffering. Now there are a few reasons given to us as to why this was right and appropriate. And that's where we'll spend our time together this morning. These reasons in verse 10 that it was right and appropriate for God to do this work through Christ's suffering. And the first is is pretty simple. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist. The first reason is because God can do, quite frankly, whatever God wants to do. It's almost like the writer is saying to us, Hey man, just in case you have forgotten, you don't get to decide what is appropriate for God. God and God alone determines what is right and what is proper. For it was fitting that He, who, the one for whom and by whom all things exist, that He is the sovereign God of all creation. He is the one that created all things and He is the one that owns all things. And as the sovereign creator, he has the right to do whatever he wants to do. And if 
The suffering of the Savior is the means through which He has determined it right and appropriate, then it is right and appropriate. We don't come to God to seek to define God based on our preconceived notions and ideas. We don't come to God on a with a set of theological or religious beliefs and say, here, fit into these parameters. No, our God is in heaven, the sovereign one, and He does as He pleases. It was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist. It was fitting that He does it however He sees fit. The implication here is also that it was His choice to do this. It was God's decision to do this. Meaning that in redemption, that God is the active agent. In redemption, in what God is doing in Christ Jesus, in returning everything to its original state, It was all according to the the plans and the purposes of God. God is not reactive. The cross, the suffering of Christ is not reactive. (gasps) Oh no. I didn't know the serpent was going to be that persuasive. What are we going to do now? God is not reactive. God, in His sovereignty, purposed Christ and His suffering as the only means for salvation. It is His plan. And as His plan, it is right and it is proper. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, God, has put him to grief. It was God's will to crush the Savior. Acts 2, men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God and God alone determines what is right and what is proper. And because it was the sovereign plan of God to cause the Son to suffer, it is right and it is proper for the Son to suffer. God is the active agent in redemption. I mean, look at the language in in verse 10. Now, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing 
many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. God is the one at work in the suffering of Jesus Christ. God is the one at work in redemption. God is the one who does the work through the gospel. And so therefore it is right because God can do whatever he wants to do. The second reason why we see it was right and appropriate for Christ to suffer and die is that it was through his sufferings that Christ made a way for sinners to be brought back to God. Why was his suffering appropriate? But it is because it was through his suffering that a way was made. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and then this phrase, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It is through Christ's suffering and death that many are brought to glory as sons. I mean, just let's look at the words here. It was fitting that he, in bringing, in bringing many sons to glory. This is, this is leading. It was fitting that he, in leading many sons to glory. God is, again, God is the active agent in our salvation. He is the one doing the work. And and this is exactly what God is doing in Christ Jesus. He is bringing many sons to himself. There's a shift here, isn't there? The shift here is that in Hebrews chapter 1, there is a son, right? I mean, we, we meet him in the, in the very beginning. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by son, that's the, that's the literal. There is one son. And then the writer shares all of these amazing attributes of the son. Quotes from the Old Testament about the son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. There is, there is one son. There is one only son. And that son is, namely, Jesus. That's what we see in chapter 2. That the only son is Christ Jesus. But here is the good news of the gospel. That from that one son, God is making many sons. That's the good news. You see the shift here? There's one son. 
There's one Son, and He is all of these glorious things. But it is right and it is fitting that He suffered and died for us because through His suffering and death, God is, through the one Son, making many sons. This is the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel is that the only Son became like us so that we could become like Him. That's the good news of the Gospel. There is one Son who is eternally existed in glory and honor and praise and majesty and holiness. There is one Son who has eternally existed. And the good news of the Gospel is that that Son, that one Son, became like us clothed in flesh so that we could, by Him and Him alone, through His suffering and death, become like Him a Son of God. That's the good news of the Gospel. That's what God is doing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us according to His purpose and His will. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to His sovereign will, we have been adopted to Himself as sons. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What God is doing in Christ through His suffering is He is from the one Son bringing many sons to glory. In Christ and through His suffering and His death, God offers to sinful humanity the rights and privilege of sonship through adoption. That in Christ, all that belongs to Him is given to us according to His grace. That's the the good news of the gospel. That in Christ Jesus, the Imago Dei, the the image of God that was in Adam before the fall is regained in the better son. And there is dominion again as he rules as son and as we are brought to him in glory, to rule us alongside of Him with dominion again. In Christ, God is bringing us to Himself because Christ has made a way. Christ has made a way. You see that in bringing many sons to glory, but that's not the only place you see that in this verse. This is the language here used for founder, founder. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation. 
the founder. There's an interesting word um, in the Greek, and it, it, it certainly can and should and is right to be founder. Um, it carries with it some different meanings. It means, you know, chief leader, chief leader, uh, prince, pioneer. It is the one who takes the lead. It's the word for captain. Well, many uh, historical theologians over this verse headed as Jesus, the captain of our salvation. That he is the leader. He is the pioneer. He is the one who takes the lead. He is the captain. He is the captain. F.F. Bruce says this, that he is the savior who blazed the trail of salvation along which alone God's many sons could be brought to glory. Man, created by God for His glory, was prevented by sin from attaining that glory until the Son of Man came and opened up by His death a new way by which humanity might reach the goal for which it was made. As His people's representative and forerunner, He has now entered into the presence of God to secure their entry there. Now here's the the text. The text is that Christ made a way to bring us to God through His suffering. That He blazed a trail through sin and all its consequences. That He came in humanity and He went right through all the ills and the sufferings and the pains of humanity to make us away. I love that image. That Christ came to save us from sin. And He did it by saying, out of the way, I'm going right through it. Follow me. Because in following me, I'm going to make the way and I'm going to bear all the consequences. I'm going to suffer all the sufferings. I'm going to die the death that you deserve because I'm blazing a trail right through Satan and his dominion in this world and I'm putting those things to death. I'm blazing the trail. I'm not going around it. I'm not going over it. I'm going right through it. Because somebody's got to go through it. And He is the founder. He blazed the trail through the consequences of sin. He blazed the trail straight to the throne of God. So that we could escape escape the consequences of our sin and receive glory. You see, sin is the barrier. 
between humanity and God. Sin is the barrier. And suffering and death are the consequences. And it was precisely through those that Christ made a way. Though sinless, He became sin. Though undeserving of suffering, He suffered silently. Though not guilty of death, He died. You see, those things had to be dealt with. You can't go around them. Because of sin, somebody has to suffer and die. And Christ did it for us as our captain. He blazed the trail right through it. As our leader, as our forerunner, as our pioneer. So that in him, through his suffering and death, he could bring with him many sons to glory. F.F. Bruce, again, the perfect son of God, has become his people's perfect savior. Opening up their way to God. And in order to become that, he must endure suffering and death. Why was it right and appropriate for Christ to suffer and die? Because somebody has to. The wages of sin is death. The writer of Hebrews sort of hints at that here. But they get there in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and have our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It was fitting for God to crush his son in suffering and death because he can, because he's God, because it was precisely through suffering and death that a way had to be made. And then lastly, and this, I believe, is the main reason in the text, and it's one that will be fleshed out in the weeks and months ahead. It was right and it was appropriate for Christ to suffer and die because it was through the means of suffering that God made Christ our perfect high priest. That's what is meant here in what maybe can be a little difficult language. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect 
through suffering. So the the difficulty here, right? The 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 exegetical difficulty is what does it mean that Christ was made perfect? Right? Is is the implication then that Christ was imperfect and needed to be made perfect? Well, the resounding answer to that question is no. Christ was not in need to be made perfect morally. That that this perfection that was given to Christ was not a perfection that was in terms of or dealt with His nature or His holiness. That Christ is and was and will always be perfect and holy. 1 Peter 2.11, he, or 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 3.5, You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. There's no sin. Christ though he became sin for us, was sinless. He is perfect in his morality. He is perfect in his holiness. He is perfect in his righteousness. And as Christ came in flesh as the God-man, he did not set aside his moral perfection. He fulfilled it. Perfectly without sin. Well, that's, that is not, unequivocally, that is not what this verse means. What does it mean? Well, instead of, of it being a reference to his nature, it's, it's a perfection. He was made perfect in relation to his mission to his office as high priest. That Christ was made through his suffering the perfect Savior. That Christ was made through his suffering the perfect man. Christ was made the better Adam, Christ was made the greater and more perfect high priest. He was made those things. They were added to him. The companion verse for this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Christ, in his incarnation, while fully God, becoming fully man, by holy God, becoming holy man, Christ, through his suffering, has become the the perfect high priest. He was perfected not in his character, but in his office, in his role as our high priest. He is the perfect high priest. There's none better. There was never any better. There will never be any better. He became in his suffering and his death the perfect high priest. He was made those things. What does a What does a high priest do? What does a priest do? A priest comes before God on behalf of the people of God to offer to God sacrifice. Right? That's the priest. That's the, the priest is the mediator. He is the one that comes in and stands before God on behalf of the people. The, the, the in-between sinful people and a holy God comes the, the priest. That's why I am no priest, though we are all priests in his kingdom. Priests offered sacrifices, and they had to do it over and over and over and over again. They had to offer a sacrifice for themselves before they could offer a sacrifice for everybody else. They had to do it over and over and over and over again. Why? Because they were imperfect. They were just shadows of the perfect priest that was to come. Christ was made the perfect high priest in his suffering and his death because he offered his own life and his own death as the perfect sacrifice. Because he offered himself, because he gave of himself the only sufficient sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats were never enough. There is only one sacrifice that's sufficient for the penalty and the judgment of sin. There's only one sacrifice, and that is Christ's holy sacrifice. And he is the better high priest. He is the great high priest. He is the perfect high priest because he gave of himself on our behalf. And in giving of himself, in suffering, we now have a high priest who is perfect in radiance and glory and holiness and who is perfectly able to sympathize with us in our sufferings. 
That's how he was made perfect. Because he offered his own life as the perfect sacrifice and then he took it up again and he now reigns as the perfect high priest at the right hand of God. Able to, through his humanity as the second Adam, able to sympathize with us in all of our sufferings and weaknesses. He can say, I've been there. I've been there. I've experienced it. I know it. And I made a way through it. And he lives at this very moment at the right hand of God as the perfect high priest constantly interceding for us and offering to us the graces we need to suffer well for him. He made a way through His suffering and His death. And now we have a heavenly high priest who is an ever-present companion who has suffered just as we have suffered and who is constantly offering Himself to us as a means of grace in our every day. Church, this was fitting. It was right. It was appropriate that Christ suffered these ways because it is the only thing that could accomplish what was needed. There's no other way. There's no other way maker. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other priest. Only Jesus. And what God was doing in sending His only Son in the likeness of human flesh, what God was doing was through Him and His suffering and His death, He was making a way, He was blazing a trail right through the consequences of sin so that according to His plans and purposes and foreknowledge, He could, by His grace, bring with Him many sons to glory. He is the better Adam. He went through suffering to perfection. The perfect high priest. Because we fell from perfection into suffering. This, this is what will be fleshed out in the weeks ahead. The benefits that are, are ours in Christ Jesus because of His suffering. And I believe that by God's grace, you and your heart will be greatly encouraged as we consider a great high priest who suffered in every way we've suffered and who's made a way to bring us to God as sons. Father, this is glorious truth, a difficult text, one that we 
certainly are only able to scratch the surface of. But one that is true. That the unfathomable has taken place. That it was right and it was fitting because you are God. For the only Son to suffer and die so that through the one Son many sons could come. Christ Jesus, you made the way. You blazed the trail. Through the consequences of our sin, you made a way. So that by faith, we could be made right. And we now have a great high priest who is able in every way to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because you were made weak, because you suffered, because you were crushed. So may we with boldness, approach the throne and find grace every day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.